Well, thank you, thank you so very much. Last talk before question and answer. Is anybody going to be offended if I don't wear the suit coat? No. Oh, okay, praise God. And if I pulled my tie down a tad on that, uh, okay. This isn't the talk on repro. I'm not undressing, but I just um, opening up a little bit there. Great. Now, compared to Dr. Bergman, if you look at my brow line closely, and my wife comments on this as well. It kind of, it kind of protrudes out. And I didn't know this. And when I was in high school, I was a thorough evolutionist. But in 11th grade, in chemistry class, someone, because I played football, and I had this big brow, said, you shouldn't be in chemistry. You're just a Neanderthal. And, uh, and, I, and I said, what do you mean? Well, they said, well, look at your brow. And I kind of like felt, oh, yeah, I guess I got this protruding brow. And my girlfriend at the time sat right behind me in chemistry class. But I, I just turned to her really quick and I said, do you think I got a protruding brow? And she looked and she just said, I plead the fifth. And, uh, <laughs> and that was, uh, and so I don't know what it is. Maybe that affects me a little bit on that. I have that and it's, it's protected me several times. All right, you only get five minutes to talk with your Darwinian friends. They're not always our enemies, and so we want to get around to getting to the gospel, but they obviously have some problems with Darwinian evolution. Now, down in Texas, they'll say, you just give me five minutes with a Darwinist, and, and they have something completely different in mind. It's kind of like, you know, <laughs> um, pound them, punch them, punch them. Well, you know, they're Texans, so uh, they have all have protruding brows. Anyway... Um, <laughs> But that's not what we're talking about. We want to be able to have a good conversation with our Darwinian friends very, very quickly and get to the point. So, five minutes with a Darwinist exposing the fluff of evolution. Now, fluff is going to be an acronym, and I use it myself. In a, in a week, I'm going to do a radio interview, and I guarantee you during the radio interview, I will use exactly what I'm telling you today. Now, I notice some of you are taking notes. I even have a slide on this. If you are like me, with a protruding brow, and you don't like to take notes, everything I'm going to say is in this tiny little booklet here. And if you don't want to take notes and you just want, if you just want to kick back and enjoy the show, buy this little booklet here. I don't even know how much it is, but it's probably not expensive. And so you can, uh, it's three bucks. Wow, that's a lot of dough for a teeny-weeny book like this. <laughs> Worth every penny. Anyway, so... Uh, if, particularly if you don't want to take notes. Okay, F, focus of discussion. So what we want to do is we want an effective way to talk with our skeptical friends who believe in evolution. Those girls look a little skeptical, don't they, on that? So we want to show them that evolution is more air than substance. First by F, focusing the discussion. Focus the discussion. L, work into our vocabulary, less than persuaded. Next, U, some unobserved important events in terms of evolution, failed mechanism for design, and then finally some freedom, freedom found in creation science. So we want to end on a positive note. So those are, the, those are the main outlines, those are the notes, and I think I even have a slide in here. Here it is. If you don't want to take those notes, you just get that little booklet right there. F, focus the discussion. That means we want to get right down to the point. And you notice the, one of the first things that Doc, Dr. Bergman did in his talk was define some terms. So 
we want to define some terms. We want to use a couple of reputable sources. And the good news is we only have to define two terms. Two terms. And guess what the first one is? Evolution. Evolution. Now, the National Association of Biology Teachers is the largest biological association in the world. Over 12,000 members. And this is what they say on their website. The diversity of life on Earth is the outcome of evolution. And Dr. Bergman defined it as from me to you from, by way of the zoo, from goo to you by way of the zoo. And that's what it's talking about, the diversity of life on Earth. And that's what the debate is over. It's not whether organisms change. It's not whether you change or I change. Everybody knows. Everybody knows creatures change. That's not the debate. This is the debate. Can evolution explain the diversity of life on Earth? That is the debate. So, they, so this is a very reputable source. I was at the University of Alaska at Anchorage, and I said, evolution is supposed to explain the diversity of life on Earth, and that's what the debate is over. And a professor interrupted me. So said, where did you get that definition? And I said, well, it's right on the web page for the National Association of Biology Teachers. Haven't you read it? End of discussion. I didn't make it up. The diversity of life on Earth is the outcome of evolution. So that's what evolution is supposed to explain. Goo to you by way of the zoo. The diversity of life on Earth. That's what it is there. Now that's a pretty extraordinary claim. So they should have pretty extraordinary evidence to back it up. Ooh, that's a thing they use on us. I like to flip it back. I mean, you should be able to really back this up if this is really the truth. So, that's the first thing that we need to define. Second is what is science? What is science? And I might say something just like this. I hold that science is based on observation and testing. Now, how many of you were taught that in school? That's a way of knowing about the world. There's other ways of knowing about the world. What's another way of knowing about the world? The Bible. The Bible tells us about the world. It is a type of knowledge. It's what? Revealed knowledge. It's revealed knowledge. Science is another way of learning about the world, and it's based on observation and testing. You come up with an idea, you test it, and some people say you repeat it. See if you can repeat that. That's all just another type of testing. So science is based on observation and testing. Now, where do I get that? If you turn to this quote from the National Academy of Sciences in their book, Science and Creationism, they said what? Scientific investigators seek to understand natural phenomenon by what? Observation and experimentation. I just say testing because it's only two syllables. Scientific interpretations of facts and the explanations that account for them therefore must be testable by observation and experimentation. Observation and testing is science. So that's what I hold to. Science is based on observation and testing. And that, in fact, I'll just, for those of you who are taking notes, there it is, observation and testing. The good news is this is a participatory lecture, participatory lecture. So it's the last one. It's a how-to talk. We need to have a little participation from the group and no better way than to have a little contest, a little contest. Obviously, the room divides into half right down here on everything. So the pastor's over here on this side of the room over there. So this side over here for today, today only, you guys get to be 
the smart side. Smart side. Smart side, okay? And you guys over here, you get to be for today, dumb side. Dumb side, all right? Sorry, pastor, but I had to pick someone. Anyway, smart side, dumb side. Smart side, dumb side. Okay, smart side. Smart side. Evolution is supposed to explain what? Wow, you have a ringer on your side. <laughs> that is it. You have a ringer. Because I'm looking at the rest of you and you're kind of like going, you know, your mouth is moving but nothing's coming out on that. But you have a ringer just on that. Okay, say it all together. Great, great. Okay, dumb side. Dumb side here. Science is based on? Oh, man. Right up here on the slide, you got a ringer and a dinger. Man, alive. Uh, <laughs> observation and testing. Observation and testing. Great. This will be kind of fun here between those two. All right. Now, this, L, L, a new phrase, a new phrase to work into your vocabulary. Less than persuaded. Less than persuaded. Oh, this is a really good one here. Less than persuaded is, you know, means that we've been listening to our teachers. Listening, but we get to be the skeptical ones. We get to be the skeptical ones. Does that gal look like she's a little skeptical there on that? In fact, did, does, does this gal look skeptical? Yeah, yeah, she's, she's quite skeptical. When I look at that picture there, I... I, I, I see a lot of women be able to make that look, you know. <laughs> and, and, in fact, I don't think men can make a look like that on that. That's like, uh, this is like the skeptical, skeptical look. And when do women make that look? When men are telling them something, you know. It's like, wow, they're like, I, I, are you lying to me or something like that? They're, they're less than persuaded on some of the things we tell them. Not my wife, of course, but most of the time, they're less than persuaded. All right. Less than persuaded, why? Well, we don't want to start off with this line. Well, I just don't believe in evolution. That's not, that's not a good conversation starter. That's kind of like a conversation ender right there. Well, I just don't believe. And they're going to say, well, I don't believe in creation. Conversation over. Both sides have entrenched, dug in. You might as well be in Washington or something like that. You're not going to go anywhere anywhere on that. And besides, when people say believe, it means other things. So we want to be skeptical. We've been listening carefully, but we're not fully persuaded. And saying that I'm less than persuaded indicates a willingness to listen. Listen on your part. And if you're willing to listen, maybe the person you're talking to will also be willing to listen to each other on that. Believe as I said, sometimes people think that's like a magical term. People believe in the tooth fairy. People believe in Santa Claus. So we don't want to say, I just don't believe in evolution. We don't want to say that. We want to work in the phrase as saying less than persuaded because evolution is supposed to explain the diversity of life on earth. And the evidences that we get for evolution are observations in diversities of similar types of dogs. But that's not explaining where dogs came from by any means. We also get the idea of changing lengths in finch beaks. I even gave you a better explanation for that. 
rather than selection and mutation and all those kinds of things. We get the explanation of peppered moths. I gave you an explanation for that. Doesn't tell us where the moths even came from. Similar body parts. You know, it is true that I have a single bone in my upper arm, two bones in my lower arms, just like a dog, just like a cat, just like things. But similarities mean nothing. I can show you similarities that are due to common ancestry. I can show you similarities that have nothing to do with it. You know what would be a better explanation? Where did bones come from? Hmm, that's a great one. How did you get the information to even make a bone? There's a lot of information to make a bone. How would you get the similarities of bones? How would you get the diversity of bones? How would you get the differences of bones? How would you get all the attachments for the bones for your muscles? Where did all this stuff come from? That's what we need to explain right over there. And bacteria becoming resistant to antibiotics. Oh, quiz time. I gave you a lunch, lecture before lunch. Where do you think the ability resides for a bacteria to become resistant to an antibiotic? In the bacterium. In the bacterium, yes. Yes, it's inside. It's inside. And guess what bacteria are doing? Just like all creatures, they're being fruitful, multiplying, and they're filling the niche with the antibiotic in it, if they can. That's what they're doing. The, the antibiotic isn't selecting for them magically. They solve the problem. They move into the niche. That's what they're doing. Completely different way of looking at things. Even though none of these really explain the diversity of life on earth, these are the principal evidences that we're all given for evolution. Less than persuaded. Not just are we skeptical, the chimps are a little skeptical. I'm less than persuaded because not do I just get all that evidence which has nothing to do with the diversity of life on earth. What I'm seeing more and more and more on television are stories, computer graphics, and things like that which are substituting for real evidence. And I'm glad the kiddos are up there getting educated on this because you can turn on TV and see a, a wolf-like creature walk into the water and due to computer graphic, it morphs into a whale, magically. Hopefully, we're skeptical of that, but little kids, it's kind of believable for them. We've heard it in the classroom. We see it on television. These are the principal evidences for that. I'm less than persuaded, totally less than persuaded, and I'm skeptical. <laughs> wow. Is that a skeptical baby? I mean, that's like a newborn right there. Can you imagine raising that for the rest of your life? <laughs> on there, it's like, wow, if they're looking like that, can you imagine when they're a teenager? On that, evolution doesn't meet my criteria of science because science is based on observation and testing. So, less than persuaded. Okay, quiz time. Quiz time. Okay, smart side. Smart side. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to let them think for themselves. All right? You have to let them think for themselves. Okay, evolution explains what? <laughs> Man, alive. I you, see what happens when you don't carry their load? I tell you. I know, I know. That's a good deal. Come on. This is, this is like responsive reading. Evolution explains the diversity of life on earth. Okay, good, good, good. Dumb side. See if you can do better. Science is based on observation and? Did you see that? They nailed that right off. 
Okay. Smart side. What phrase do we want to work out of our vocabulary? <laughs> out, out, out of our vocabulary. No, it's not. I, I didn't say I don't believe. Man, your pastors will kill me. That's right, all that. I don't believe in evolution. Yeah, I don't believe in evolution. Dumb side. What phrase do you want to work into your vocabulary? We are less than? Persuaded. Look at that. They nail it every time. Less than persuaded. Less than persuaded on that. Good, good. Less than persuaded because of two unobserved important events. That's all there is. There's not a whole lot to this. Two unobserved important events. The first one, Dr. Bergman hit on it. I've hit on it. And this is a major one. An unobserved keyword, natural origin of life. No cheating by bringing God in there some magical way to do something on that. You have to explain it with just the natural laws of nature, using natural products. You have to come up with that. Nobody, nobody has obviously seen it happen, and nobody is close to duplicating it. You want to know why? It's not just getting those amino acids. In order to explain what living things do, you have to come up with a plausible mechanism to explain four things, don't memorize these, that living things do. All living things grow. All living things metabolize, which means they're able to take resources from their environment, bring them in, turn them into energy, or turn them into growth. All things reproduce, and all things adapt. That's what all living things do. Grow, reproduce, metabolize, and adapt. So in order to explain a natural origin of life, you have to come up with mechanisms to do all of those things. And I already went over why reproduction in and of itself is a chicken age problem. Now, what about adaptability? Can you get adaptability by adaptation? This is a dumb side. Can you get adaptability by adaptation? The answer is no. No, no. did you hear that? No, because I, I can't adapt until I am what? Adaptable. I can't adapt until I'm adaptable. So there's another chicken and egg scenario. And besides, in order to be adaptable, in order to reproduce, you've got to get energy to make these things work. So does the energy come first or the adaptability come first? Do you see what I'm saying? There's chicken and egg problems all over the place. That's why nobody has a clue of how life began. Nobody can adequately explain it. So you might turn and get a headline like this from Scientific American by John Horgan, written in 2011, and it says, Psst, don't tell the creationists, but scientists don't have a clue of how life began. He's reporting on the world's collection of origin of life researcher, researchers. A couple things. Psst. Why don't you tell the creationists? I mean, science is an open search for what? Truth, unbiased. Second, we can read. You know, we can come up with that. And he says there, exactly 20 years ago, I wrote an article for Scientific American with the same title, and his editor nixed it. Hmm, a little bias there. I'm predicting 20 years from now, he can write the exact same article 
40 years from now, the same thing. All right, an example of the second thing, a mechanism. This is a toughie. So whose side do you think it's going to? Smart side. A mechanism with the ability to, here's the key words, fundamentally change one creature into a fundamentally different type of other. The word I'm emphasizing is what? Fundamentally different. Fundamentally different. Fundamentally different on all of those things. We obviously see lots of the same kinds of creatures. You see the egghead dog. You see the football player dog. You see those kinds of things. You see diversity even amongst dogs and things like that. You see all different kinds. But you don't really see evolution. This paper was published in 2009 on the 200th anniversary of Darwin's birthday. And it's reporting on the world's largest experiment on evolution, which started in 1998 up at the University of Michigan, up from here. And at the time this was reported, evolution in action, a 50,000 generation salute to Charles Darwin. They were doing an experiment on a bacteria which usually lives in your gut called E. coli. They started out with 12 identical types in 12 different test tubes. And over, since 1988, over all those years, it's been multiplying daily, daily, daily. They take out 90%, they freeze it, they let the remaining 10% grow for the day. Take it, do this all over. And by the time this paper was done, they were up to 50,000 generations. They've now exceeded 60,000 generations. And I have no idea why this would be a salute to Charles Darwin. Because after 60,000 generations, the E. coli are still what? E. coli. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they haven't changed at all. But evolution is supposed to explain the diversity of life on earth, not the stasis of life on earth. And you know who wants this experiment to go on and on and on, not at taxpayer expense? I do, because I can make some predictions. If they continue to do this after 100,000 generations, or they do it till the Lord returns, they're still going to be E. coli, or they will have died through mutational meltdown, gone extinct. Wow. Okay, quiz time, quiz time. Let's start over here, just to be fair. Okay, dumb side. Science is based on? Great. Did you hear that? No pause, no delay, no ambiguity, no doubts. Just, just solid answers on that. I, I love it. Great. What phrase do you want to work into your vocabulary? Right. Less than persuaded because of two unobserved natural events. A natural origin of what? Life. Huh. Perfect. Okay, smart side. You think I'm not fair. That's not even true. I'm totally fair. You guys are the smart side. I expect more out of you. All right. So, <laughs> smart side. Evolution explains the? Diversity of life Great. What phrase do you want to work out of your vocabulary? Well, I just? Don't believe in evolution. Great. What phrase do you want to work in? I threw a ringer there. Yeah, less than persuaded. Less than persuaded because of two unobserved important events. One, a natural origin of life. Two, is the ability to? Excellent, excellent. Wow. Who wants to study with this dude? Yeah. Who wants to sit next to him during a test? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Here's the hard one. 
failed mechanism of design. Failed mechanism of design. The good news is everybody, as I mentioned earlier, sees the design in nature. I see it. Evolutionists see it. I have the easier explanation. I say it looks designed because it really was designed. That's an easy one. Evolutionists have to persuade many people that living things that look designed really weren't designed. So how in the world are they going to do this? They have to explain that it's all an illusion or an appearance. Well, they've come up with a little formula. Evolution is based on mutation and natural selection. Now, we've all pounded this into the ground, and we would say immediately that it can't explain that. Evolution cannot be explained by mutations and natural selections. Now, what are you going to do with mutations? First of all, we can pick this apart. Totally random. Why? Why? Here's a, here's a quiz question. Why do evolutionists insist that mutations must be random? This is based on the lecture before lunch. That's right, exactly. Random is the anti-design explanation. Designs are based on purpose. They're intentional. Intentional, purposeful solutions. Evolutionists, you know, if you start explaining things in biology as if they're purposeful and intentional, that sounds an awful lot like they were what? Designed. So you want to come up with the anti-design explanation. So you say that they are what? Random, accidental, unintentional, no purpose in relationship to goal or anything like that. That's what evolutionists teach. Now you know why they're insisting that. Now you know why they really can't let go of that. Now you know why there's a war amongst the evolutionary camp because the people who really know the theory and know why it is the anti-design theory, they know I have to hold on to random things. But the scientists who are still evolutionists, they're over here, they're finding stuff that as I showed, appear to be regulated. They appear to be rapid. They appear to be repeatable. They appear to have targeted solutions. And this, this isn't fitting with theory. Okay, so now you know why they have to say that. But then they're relying on mutations, mutations. And Dr. Bergman just explained What's wrong with appealing to mutations anyway, aside from the fact that they're random, why is that kind of a wacky thing to appeal to? Boy, the people on the balcony have been left off the hook. Okay, keep on tweeting. Anyway, um, <laughs> all right. Um, why are mutations a wacky thing to appeal to anyway? It's kind of like up there on the screen because they destroy information. Dr. Bergman just, he just went over with the, with the Geiger counter and things like that. And he mentioned how his, when he goes to the dentist, the dental technician, she runs out of the room and gets behind the lead wall. And, and my dental technician, she comes out with a big lead apron and she kind of like walks over to me and she like lifts it four feet above my lap and boom, and she drops it on me, boom, you know, like that. She covers me with a big lead apron on that. Why? Because nobody, and she covers women too, nobody wants your gonads irradiated. Simple as that. 
regardless of what any evolutionist would insist on. Nobody wants to go to bed with the plate <laughs> on that. Nobody wants that. So it's, it's, it's kind of a silly thing to appeal to mutations, but they have, no, they have nothing else. So you have to go with these random mutations. Okay, now what's the problem with natural selection? Before I even put it up there, I've, I spent a long time talking, bashing, bashing natural selection and telling you that nobody's seen nature select anything. Nobody has ever seen nature select anything. Why? Because nature doesn't have a mind. A mind. Nature doesn't have a mind. Darwin came up with that idea by looking at what breeders do. And breeders have a real brain, and breeders select for this kind of cow or this kind of plant or this kind of thing. Breeders do this, and you get all different kind of varieties with what breeders do. He said, well, maybe nature does the same thing. Nature does the same thing. And if you can do this in a really short time, if you give nature a really, really long time, you can come up with the diversity of life on earth. That's what he says. That's what he says. But it's, is, is this analogy between a breeder and nature, uh, is that a legitimate analogy? No. He has a real brain. She has a real brain. This guy's got five, you know? <laughs> it's not a legitimate analogy. And it fundamentally projects selective capacity onto nature. Okay, quiz question. You know, this is not your typical creation seminar. I, I expect you to really know something when you leave here. Fundamentally different on that. Why? Why do you think Darwin has to project intelligence? How does he get to intelligence? Selective activities are always an indicator of intelligence. Why does he have to project intelligence onto nature? That's right. Who said that? Yes. He has to come up with a way to explain the diversity of life on earth without appealing to a real intelligence, i.e. God, or more specifically, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to get that intelligence out, and he has to slip a substitute intelligence in. And he slips the substitute intelligence in by projecting onto nature the ability to select. Okay, theological question. What is it called when human beings project onto unconscious or inanimate things the perfect idolatry? Perfect. You are on the smart side <laughs> on that. It's called idolatry. If I held up to you a statue and said, this statue can select your mate, or I held up a rabbit's foot and said, just rub this baby, and it'll bring you good luck, or something like that. Is, is there anything in the rabbit's foot? Is there anything in the statue? No. Idolatry always is something in your mind. It's always in your mind. It's not in the statue. It's what you think about the statue. That's where idolatry always takes place. It's a mental thing. Are you getting the feeling that so much of creation evolution is actually a mental thing? 
and not really a factual thing. It's not really an evidential thing. It's what you think about that evidence. Okay, Dr. Bergman has been bashing eugenics. Eugenics, the selective breeding, it's on the positive side. You get to breed with her because you guys are the fittest. Are you guys married? No. Too bad. Anyway, so uh, and that, that's just the way, under my regime, have kids on that. That's the positive side is selective breeding. The negative side is non-selective breeding. You guys, since you're what? The dumb side, you don't get to reproduce. And we are going to ensure it by sterilizing you. And if you're really bad off, we're going to kill you. Now, everybody refers to this as Darwinism. Darwinism. Wrong-o. This book here, 20 Evolutionary Blunders, it traces the history of these blunders. It came out of England, as Dr. Bergman said, by this guy. He said, 1936, promoting eugenics. Quote, that is, I think, the ever-present fear which the scientific mind recognizes. Civilized man has largely destroyed crude natural selection. Ah, it's not Darwinism, it's selectionism, which was the driver of eugenics. What's he saying? He's saying, you guys, under natural selection, you lived, and you guys died. But now I'm a medical doctor, and I, I don't let you die. I let you live. And not only do you live, you go on to reproduce. They reproduce another dumb side. And under natural selection, that would have never have happened. So human beings, civilized man, is inter interrupting natal, natural selection. He goes on to say, in my mind, this guy was the leader, leading proponent of eugenics. Everybody followed him. In my own mind and in a growing number of other minds, civilization will end unless civilization can find a method of doing for itself what natural selection did for man in his ascent, ensuring that he shall breed with only his best. The study of how it is possible forms the subject matter of what we now term the science of eugenics. We have to replace the ruthless action of natural selection by reason, conduct, and civilized man. And I included multiple other quotes from people of the day. And every single one, without fail, doesn't refer innocuously to evolution, doesn't refer innocuously to Darwinism. They say, it, you must what? Implement a human type of natural selection. Now, why do you think creationists don't blast natural selection as the origin of eugenics? Because they're selectionists. Hmm. Hmm. Eugenics was based on and always will be based on survival of the fittest and eliminating the unfit and sterilizing people. And as Dr. Bergman said, Indiana was a second state, but <clears throat> 35 other states followed suit, and over 70,000 Americans were forcibly sterilized up until the 1970s when the three last girls in Alabama in 1974, in our lifetime, 12, 13, and 15 were forcibly sterilized. 
And then that went to court and ended it. Hmm. That wasn't that long ago. And it's all based on this whole idea of selectionism. So if you want to push back against selectionism, show me the selector. Since there really isn't a brain, since there really isn't a mind, you say, well, show me the selector. They'll say, well, you know, it's just a metaphor. It's just, it's, it's not really real. Well, then you say, well, then it really can't be the God substitute if it's not really real. It's just a metaphor, just a figure of speech. Okay, creation science offers a better rationale. One, living things conform to the patterns of design. Patterns of design. Here's a way to remember those. Go to your car, turn it on, get out of your car, open the hood, and look at the running engine. When you see a running engine, do you see patterns of design? What do you see? You're looking at your engine. You see multiple parts working together for a purpose. Do they have a precise shape? Do they have precise fit and finish? Is there precise timing? Are they put together in a precise order of assembly? Yes, 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 yes. When you look at me, do you see precise fit and finish? Yes. <laughs> do you see me put together in a particular order of assembly? Yes, yes, yes. You see the epitome <laughs> of, <laughs> of masculinity, I tell you. That's it. Oh, I mean, just fit and finish and timing and all of that stuff. Patterns of design. All right. Do you see things where the number of parts fitting together renders the likelihood of them happening by chance almost zero? And Dr. Bergman said essentially impossible. Yes, 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 yes. And do you see all or nothing unity? The answer is yes. What, what system would you report to, would you refer to for all or nothing unity? Where all the parts must work together and nothing's going to work. Reproduction. There's a good one. If reproduction doesn't work, you don't get offspring. Wow. So when I put these guys together and do a head-to-head -head comparison, my explanation fits a lot better than random mutations and natural selection. And that, this is just a gratuitous way of me putting a picture of my son up here. This is him. This is the goal line. This is the crosstown rival. And this was on the front page of the newspaper on that. And, and my son just put a monster hit on this dude. You could hear it for miles. And it was just like, he just stopped him right then. Bang. Great, great stop. And um, it kind of like, I can't say it won the game, but it didn't, it didn't let my son's team lose as bad. So anyway, <laughs> on that, it was, a, it was a good, good hit. All right. Finally, freedom. Freedom found in creation science. Now let's just remember one. Let's just, re uh, let's remember two. I'll give you two. One, freedom from magical words. Magical words. Words like arised, emerged, gave rise to, burst onto the scene. They're not up there on the screen. What are those words? Arose emerged, gave rise to, burst onto the scene. And you'll catch them like this. This animal, blah, 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 gave rise to this animal. These animals were in existence and then arose, blah, 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 blah. After so many years, blah, 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 this animal emerged. 
Have you heard those in evolutionary explanations? Those are magical words because they're skipping over a lot of missing data. Data. I'm an engineer, medical doctor. I don't use those words. You know, this building arose, these things emerged, none of those kinds of things. Those are magical words. You know, I wish we could give those little kiddos upstairs a clicker. When I was a kid, I could squeeze something and kind of go click, 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 click. You know, remember what those things were, like a cricket? I'd put on the back of it all the magical words, print on that baby, and I'd give it to them, and moms could, could have like a, a competition between their kids, smart kid, dumb kid, or something like that, and they could let them watch Nova or National Geographic. And every time they heard those magical words, they could what? Click, 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 click. And it would teach the kids to be really, really critical. Or you could, if you could get away with this in your science book, you could have a magical word rubber stamp. And every time the textbook has those, stamp it, stamp it, stamp it, stamp it, stamp it. And then you could turn it back and the kids next year could, oh, see all the magical words. That would really be good. Second freedom found in creation science is the freedom from, from religious statements masquerading as science. Religious statements masquerading as science. There was a famous evolutionist, his name was Carl Sagan. And he had a, he had a series called Cosmos. A book and a series. And he begins his book with this statement. It kind of sounds a little science-y. The cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. Cosmos is all that is, ever was, or ever will be. Now, is that a religious statement? Yes, it is. But don't just come up to Carl Sagan or a Carl Sagan wannabe and say, hey, that's a religious statement. Ask Carl Sagan, respectfully, Dr. Sagan, you said that the universe is all that is or ever was or ever will be, or the cosmos, all that is, ever was, or ever will be. What scientific experiment did you do? And what paper did you publish it in to give you the authority to declare that this actually happened? And you can do this with all of these. Just ask, what experiment did you do? What paper was it published in? I mean, think about it. What kind of an experiment would demonstrate that the cosmos is all that is, ever was, or ever will be? An experiment that would be infinite. How would you ever start it? How would you ever end it? How would you ever know? I have in one of my talks a slide of uh, Stephen Hawking. And the headline says, Stephen Hawking declares there is no heaven. Stephen Hawking declares there is no heaven. He says your brain is like a computer. It functions like a computer. It's just like a computer. And there's no heaven for broken down computers. Therefore, there's no heaven for us. People who invent the concept of heaven are just people who are afraid of the dark. And so that was, and so headline, Stephen Hawking shows there is no heaven. And I would, if Stephen Hawking was still alive, I'd say, well, Dr. Hawking, what experiment did you do? And what paper did you publish it in to, to show there is no heaven? I mean, how would you do the experiment? First, I'm alive. Okay, what do I have to do? I got to die. Go over. Oh, no heaven. Then I got to come back and say, oh, hey, you know what, guys? I was there, and there is no heaven on that. Anybody seen Stephen Hawking come back recently? No. 
He knows. These are religious statements masquerading as science. Masquerading as science. So if you only get five minutes, focus the discussion. Define two things. What evolution is, diversity of life on earth, science based on observation and testing. Don't start off with, I don't believe in evolution. Say, I've been listening carefully, I've been watching carefully, and I am what? Less than persuaded. I'm less than persuaded because of all the things I said, plus two unobserved origin, um, plus two things, natural origin of life and the ability to change one creature to a fundamentally different kind. I'm also less than persuaded because of the failed mechanism of design. The failed mechanism of design. And they are going to appeal to mutations coupled to selection. And we know why that isn't any good. But we do see patterns conforming to design. And I'm also less than persuaded because I hear a lot of religious statements which are masquerading as science. And you can tell them cosmos, those kinds of things. But don't end the conversation right there. Say, now, I've told you why I'm less than persuaded about this, and I've told you why I think things look designed because they are designed, but if you have just a couple more minutes, extend your five minutes, I'd like to tell you about the one who is the designer, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And close the loop by going back to the gospel, back to the gospel, which is what we're after anyway. Amen? Amen.